the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this this sort of rings true, at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, We take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and, and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, more recently, a uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, (laughs) less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program uh, probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on on, uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard bearer, the, the paradigm setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly while you know we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by, uh, well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. 
Uh, it was a hundred years ago that 90% of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe. Uh, they're in Africa, where the church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia and Latin America. And now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries. And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we uh, used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 New, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, and they're seeing those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that That has never changed. But the methodology... Uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, 
uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three self-church movement is all controlled by the government. And yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do, quote unquote, church in the West. It's one of the fastest growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church, and some of the fastest growing spread of Christianity in the world are in in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is the fastest growing uh, Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. uh, We're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and Internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formerly closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while that's certainly um, on the the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of um, Christians that um, were in China and uh, in the course of conversation asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do. And uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, What an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here uh, um, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China bringing the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor, a hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans fifteen twenty, where Paul said, "It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known." So, in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the church in this country 
for example, we state, we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. And we say we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people when common sense says protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone. We put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry um, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for the better part of 80-plus something years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, in the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely, and uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, We have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, Mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness, and they don't take any unnecessary chances, but uh, last year we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, In jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus, and through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, The stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, One of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half-naked at night, uh, no home, no family, there was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door, and a Christian family took him in. 
and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized, and we offer to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So th this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years. And, and, and maybe perhaps that sense of, of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above, above all else, um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in, in these, uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of, what, almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that, that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture. Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So... Uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, and as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. Uh, great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to Reach Beyond. .org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the, uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto. And if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ, where we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the Church in America to take a stand to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. 
And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, through Amazon.com, and, of course, through reachbeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joining me tonight again in studio is Reverend Walter Hoy. You know him probably most famously or amongst the courtrooms of Alameda County most infamously um, as the the minister who was taking a stand in a very loving, peaceful, quiet fashion um, in Oakland at a... Um, an abortion clinic up there, just standing around, making himself available to women that maybe would like to have some last-minute insight as to what they were about to do. And uh, the city of, uh, of Oakland and Alameda County didn't like all that. He ended up spending some time in jail because of his position on life. He's with us tonight talking about a new campaign that has taken place in the city of Oakland, and maybe you've seen them. Some 60 billboards around the city that simply proclaim, Black and Beautiful, too many aborted dot com and uh, if we talk about these skewed numbers here, Walter, before the break, clearly that's got to lead people even that don't necessarily um, have an opinion on this topic or have never been strongly morally motivated to get involved in the fight for the unborn in the past to hear numbers like that and say that clearly there's something that is dreadfully and deadfully wrong. Absolutely, you've got to ask yourself the question, regardless of what side of the argument you find yourself on is this, what's your number? If 60% of all black pregnancies being aborted in New York City it isn't a high enough number for you to get concerned about this, you've got to ask yourself that question. What's your number? Is it is it 70? Is it 80? Is it 90? Uh, what would, how would you feel if it was 100? The, the numbers are astronomically high, and they're astronomically high in almost every state in the union where we have these statistics. In California, it's just amazing. California itself could be considered the nation's abortion capital just by the sheer number of abortions performed in our state. We're talking about over 214,000 abortions every year committed here, right here in the state. With numbers of that sort, clearly there needs to be some education about all of this. Give us some insights as to why you feel, based on your research, your involvement with the community, um, what you've learned as to why these numbers are so horrifically disproportionate. I mean, I, I, I think it's clear that, you know, teenagers, uh, young adults are having intercourse. I don't care what the race <laughs> is. I, you know, I, I think we can probably see that as a given. So what is it that's going on here that's creating these numbers to be so skewed, so horrifically disproportionately? Well, I, I think we've got to get back uh, to where... The African American community hears truth, uh, and that's and that's in our churches. I, I, I like to see our, our pastors preach more on on these subjects, these issues that that matter. I think we've got to get back uh, to our foundations, where it, it's taught that marriage is between a man and a woman, where abstinence is, is celebrated, uh, not just sort of mentioned because that's basically Christianity one-on-one. We need to do a better job of reaching our young people with the biblical tenets on how to live this life. And and apparently, um, we're just not getting that done. And along with that, when you look at the concerted campaign 
that is engaged in by organizations like Planned Parenthood, who not only have access to millions of dollars that they receive in exchange for the quote-unquote services that they offer, but also millions of dollars of our taxpayer dollars that are going to underwrite what they're doing that allows them to you know, not only do their television ads and they show up on billboards and they show up on bus cars at bus stops and so forth, uh, but even when it comes down to the the strategic fashion in which they decide to locate their clinics. And I, and I would challenge anybody listening right now, uh, just do a Google search. And then when, when the, uh, the information is returned through Google or Bing, whatever you use, uh, for Planned Parenthood clinics in the Bay Area, go to the maps and look at where they're located. And, and folks will find um, a commonality amongst the locations of those centers, won't they? Uh, it, it won't be a surprise to, to, to anyone. Uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, in, in combining uh, with the, the media, which keeps this type of information uh, really away from the public, uh, has made it extremely difficult for us to get this type of message across. And so I, I highly recommend uh, people to really take a look at Planned Parenthood, study their history, understand what they're really all about, and then ask yourself the question, does anybody really have the right to take the life of an innocent human being? Is uh, they look at the locations of those centers, they're going to find that there are uh, no centers, uh, no ribbon-cutting ceremonies uh, scheduled <laughs> to open a new one in Atherton or in Danville or in Salcedo. Uh, now, if you're listening, those that have an ear to hear, you'll notice that these are communities that are uniquely uh, lacking a large black or minority population. But you look at sections of Oakland and East Palo Alto and Menlo Park and East San Jose and on and on the list goes. There's where you'll find all of the Planned Parenthood centers. Uh, absolutely. If you consider the, the, the brand new monstrosity that's being built in Houston, Texas, which is second only to China in, in the middle, is smack dab in the middle of three minority neighborhoods. And that's not just a little tiny corner clinic either. This is uh, going to be a multi-story building. Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. That's going to be n- nothing like it. And again, we're talking about something that's big enough to... Uh, take up three minority communities. And so it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Uh, I believe African-American community is being targeted. And it's time for us to break the truth. I let the people see the actual sheer numbers of abortions taking place in the African-American community and then ask themselves the right question. These numbers are not hidden. Uh, Folks can go online and with a little bit of research know exactly what the numbers look like, both in terms of the the population, the the most recent 2010 census, census, the number of abortions that are performed by Planned Parenthood or their clinics and affiliates, um, the percentage of those that are attributed to, uh, you know, various uh, uh, races, minority groups across the United States. It's easy to come up with a conclusion. Then I have to wonder, Walter, why aren't we hearing more of a hue and cry going on? Uh, why, why are we not hearing um, some of these more, uh, shall we say, self-styled, self-appointed leaders within the community, whether you're talking about <laughs> Charlie Rangel of New York or you're talking about uh, um, Jesse Jackson, um, whomever, why do we not hear uh, a public outrage and outcry over what has got to be nothing short of, of targeted genocide against uh, black Americans in our country? 
Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I think if you take a look at the history, you'll find that many of the leaders that are now pro-choice at one point weren't. But somewhere along the line, money got involved and they've made a decision. And now they're having to, to live with that decision and the consequences of that decision. Has this become, in, in some circles with some individuals, um, more of a political issue then than a moral one? In many cases, it's it's a decision of expediency, and in often cases, politics has a lot to do with it. I mean, we know, for example, the firm position that the Democrat Party in America, and I don't want to turn this political, but the Democrat Party in America has a very definitive position in very, defending very. Uh, the Roe versus Wade decision and in very. keeping abortion legal here in America, and in many cases, you know, paid for by. Public dollars, tax dollars. Yes, uh, we also know that the Republican Party has had a plank uh, steadfastly fastly against uh, on-demand abortion in this country, going back to the days of, of Ronald Reagan. So if you look at the associations, the party affiliations uh, that an Al Sharpton has or, or any of these other leaders that we mentioned before, they're all Democrats, and they're aligned with a party who is aligned with Planned Parenthood. Absolutely. Um, it, the Democratic Party platform is clear. Uh, you can read it for yourself. The Republican Party platform is clear. Uh, you can read it for yourself. And I, I, would, I would challenge anybody to ask themselves uh, the question, is it really anybody's right uh, choice, uh, whether uh, it's a difficult choice or not, to take the life of an innocent human being? We've got to come to the point where we understand what abortion is and what abortion does. You start with one bad decision, and then that leads to a second bad decision. Mm. The first and one of which mm. is uncomfortable, it is unscriptural. The second one leads to death. Mm. Uh, I mean, to talk about killing a gnat with a, with a, with a hammer. Mm. Uh, if you had just made the first decision correctly, you have never found yourself in the position of, of being coerced, forced in some cases into the second decision. Absolutely. And that's where we need to come around and support our women, support our children. Uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, our women find themselves in a very difficult position. And we need to come around and wrap our arms around them and support them. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. If you take a look at James 1 and 27, we're talking about pure religion. And it's talking about orphans and widows. Again, we're talking about mothers, uh, children. And it's time that we really take a look at our priorities. Uh, there is such a, a disparity between uh, what we say we do and, and what we say we're all about uh, and then what's actually happening in our communities. Um, I think our, our women who find themselves in very difficult decisions uh, need to also find themselves just wrapped around the love of Christ by the body of Christ. And I think a lot of decisions would be made differently. Now, if you have seen the billboards all and around Oakland, uh, 60, some told, black and beautiful, I'd like to get your feedback. What do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? Is this is this making folks feel a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable? Um, and if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? How do we raise awareness? Um, how do we respond to what some consider to be nothing short of a modern-day genocide going on in all places, the United States of America? Thoughts, comments? Um, in particular, are you appalled by the, the um, imbalance of the numbers? And back with more after this. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the program. Craig Roberts and along with me tonight in studio, Reverend Walter Hoy. Have you seen the billboards? They're up all over Oakland. I'm not going to tell you where, but you drive around, you'll see them. That says predominantly black and beautiful, too many aborted.com. And we're talking about this campaign. Let's get to some of your calls. We're going to go first to Will, hanging out somewhere on the 880 freeway. Will, come on in with your comment or question for Reverend Walter Hoy. Uh, Brother Craig and Reverend Hoy, I just want to say, hey, God bless you both, you know. Uh, it saddens me because I've encountered these people that have abortions back to back to back, and it's almost like it's a means of birth control. Mm, it is. In these death mills, you know, I mean, that's what I call abortion clinics. I, I think they put them pretty near high schools also, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they do, don't they, Walter? I mean, they're not only associated with clinics. Sometimes these clinics, I mean, you you can get the the family planning information right absolutely, there at absolutely. an on-campus clinic. On-campus, and if it's not on-campus, they'll actually provide transportation to the nearest clinic, which isn't too far from the campus, and they can do it without parental notification. Yeah, that's the thing you and I have talked about. I still remain <laughs> astonished to this day. If your daughter goes into the school nurse and says, I have a headache, exactly. they, are, they are mandated by law to call the parents and get permission to administer an aspirin. Lord. If, however, the same daughter shows up to the school nurse and says, I took a test, I found out I'm pregnant, I don't want this baby, my parents will insert excuse here, uh, that nurse will make arrangements for transportation to take that child down to a local Planned Parenthood clinic, receive an abortion, and get them safely back home again, and they don't even as much as need to tell you that it's going on, let no. alone get your permission. Now, no. chew on that one for a while. Unbelievable. It's a sad day in America simply because they can't muster up the funds to, to educate and to, to keep the schools open and to help rehabilitate convicts and to get people off of drugs. But if you want to kill your baby, have at it. Yep. You're, you're exactly right. And, and um, I, I would be the first to say, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal here. The 300 plus odd million dollars a year that Planned Parenthood gets out of my back pocket, well, not all of it, but if you want to say we're going to invest an equal amount with the crisis pregnancy centers across the country, we're going to, we're going to be equal. If this is all about choice, then let's right. make the choice available out there as they argue that that's what they want to accomplish. And I'd be happy to say that, okay, if we can't come to an agreement to cut off funding for Planned Parenthood, which is ideal, then at least say be fair about it. But they don't want to do that, do they, Walter? No, they really don't. They really want all the money for themselves, and it's really not about choice at all. No, this is about big money. Will, thanks so much for the call and the observation. Here is Linda in Sunnyvale. Linda, come on in with your comment or question for Reverend Hoy. All of these men talk about this topic. Never do you hear women come in and chime in about this whole matter. And it's a woman issue. Well, I mean, it's more than a woman issue, but I, I don't hear any women calling in on this topic. Well, we're going to write, uh, write that misbalance right here because uh, Sister Hoy happens to be in studio with us. What about that? I mean, that's certainly, you know, if you look at, at a lot of people that have been involved in kind of the front lines of pro-life, it's been a lot of guys. And yet, ironically, just the opposite is true on that side of the camp. It seems to be, you know, the guards that escort women in and the ones that run the clinics, the abortion clinics, all tend to be women. Right. Well, it's not just a woman's issue. You can't have a baby without a man. 
So to say that men have no right to speak is not true. And women are on both sides of the issue. There are women on the pro-life side of the issue, especially African-American women who are speaking up, saying that the lives of our children are being slaughtered and it's got to stop. So, But, you know, I, I wonder, Linda, if we take this a little bit step further, what I find curious is that a lot of, a lot of those that are, find themselves counted amongst the feminists, and you can be a Christian feminist, too, uh, maybe not too easily so, might argue someone like Phyllis Schlafly, but you can do it. Where are the, where are the feminists in all of this that understand right. what's happening to, to women? Because, you know, the other thing that's happening, not only are, are women having to deal with a post-traumatic stress disorder and all of the, 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 the backside of this highly emotionally charged issue, but 50% of those that are being aborted are girls. Right. Exactly. Right. I think I definitely think it's a man and woman issue. It's just I, when I see these marches and all this other stuff, I see a bunch of men, especially in front of like a Planned Parenthood in San Jose. They usually have like a a rally or information about why not to abort your child, and I've never seen a female out there. Wow. Ever. You should come to the Walk for Life West Coast in San Francisco, and you can see over thirty thousand women, children, and the ladies that run that walk. You know, it's an all-women event. We put it, women put it on, women put it together, women get the speakers. I mean, if you want to see women in force for life, then January 21st, I believe, 2012, be at the Embarcadero at 10 o'clock and you'll see us. We're out there. We're doing it. You can go to L.A. and, you know, same thing, the March, March for Life SoCal. I mean, you have to go to the places to see yeah, yeah, yeah. Are. I just think that if they showed up in San Jose, I think it would be more receptive. Do you know what I mean? I think that if a female is talking about, you know, something like an abortion, I, I think a female is going to be able to empathize more with the female, oh. Oh, yeah. whereas a male, yeah. you know, to give birth... You know, it, it's just not there. You yeah, know? especially see, there's a level That's which true. I suppose some women might say it was a little bit disingenuous. It was a guy that right. got me and in this shape like in the first place. Talking well, about prostate cancer. Right, right. You no, know, I mean, women like, can get But you know, you know what? what I mean? But you know what? I, I, I want to say something, Linda, because I, I want to applaud you for the observation. You, you've mm-hmm. caught on to a very critical truth here that you're right. Women would be more receptive to this message, I think. Yeah. Um, now here's what you need to do. You need to start talking about this. Yeah. And you need to talk to your girlfriends. You need to talk about this at church uh, and your acquaintances who are believers and, and, and pro-life individuals and say, hey, ladies, let's all get together. Yeah. Uh, the more that women do to get involved in this battle, uh, the faster we can, we can win the battle. Am I right? Exactly. And bring your lady friends and go down to Planned Parenthood in San Jose. I mean, I know a group of young women that are out there periodically. So if you can get there, definitely Go there and talk to the women, engage them. Um, it's definitely more, I, well, it's more effective woman to woman than it is man to woman. But you need everybody on the sidewalk because there's a male perspective that women can't share. And there's a woman's perspective, you know, that men can't share. So if it's a joint effort, I think if we're all out there on the sidewalk saying, hey, there is another way. Do not go in this building. Do not end the life of your child. Talk to us because there is help. And you just need to know where it is. You just need to know who it is. You need to know that it's available. And, you know, 
make the good choice, the life choice for you and your child, and it'll end up much better. And, and you know, truth be told here, too, that there are a lot of women that are very involved in this. Uh, most of the uh, the crisis pregnancy centers almost oh, yeah. exclusively are yeah, all women, women leadership. Yeah. I think of people going back many years, uh, like Beverly LaHaye of Concerned Women for America, oh, yeah. uh, very vocal in this. Um, uh, Dr. King, Martin Luther King's uh, niece, Alvita uh, uh, King, is is another critical, very uh, high-profile leader that's a woman in, in, in dealing with these issues. And, and there are quite a number of other names we can add to that list that we won't take the time to do now. Uh, but that the fact that we need more women <coughs> involved in this... Uh, a hearty amen to that, ladies. Okay, now you know the, the gauntlet's been been thrown down. Get involved in this. We're going to spend some time uh, talking about how you can get involved and and what's being accomplished by this campaign right now, and maybe how you can get some energy behind that as well. Not just in Oakland, but taking a campaign like this to other uh, areas around the country. We continue our visit tonight with Reverend Walter Hoy, founder and president of Issues for Life Foundation. Information on the web, by the way, about the campaign: too many aborted dot com. That's too many t o o too many aborted. Dot com. Back with more after this.